trends change, you know, and it could be five years or 10 years, and they may five years from now need that room to be something completely different than what they thought they had needed. When it comes to hospital design, where's the line between DIY and get help fast? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the FedEx Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I am your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and Lloyd Lewis, a 15-year or more veteran of veterinary architect projects and now with animal arts, is here to explore the easy to do and the hard to execute. Mostly, we're going to sit with the former as we discuss projects involving paint, countertops, lighting fixtures, and ceilings. But... Lloyd also wants you to call him or another veterinary specializing pro if you wade into deeper waters, and we'll talk about what those are. But first, Lloyd, what can we do for cheaper? My first big question is, I know, so having done the Hospital Design Conference for a few years, heard about a lot of things that are time intensive and are going to require a lot of money. They're going to require a lot of resources. And I wondered, maybe we could just kick off because, I mean, you've worked on things that required a lot of money and a lot of resources for (laughs) veterinarians. We could kick off with what are the things that people might do that aren't going to become massive projects that they're going to have to call in the experts for? And maybe we could talk about some of those small things and how those kind of take place in the practice. Yeah, that's a great question. It's going to come down to, like I think you mentioned, massive, right? Square footage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? Like how much of your hospital are you changing? But some things you could tackle pretty easily to either change the look of your hospital or just freshen it up. Yeah. Obviously paint colors on the walls, countertops, something that can be done, light fixtures, ceilings and light fixtures. Those can be done pretty easily. And by ceilings, I mean, Let's take the lobby, and you, if you have a suspended ceiling in your lobby, right? Maybe opening up that ceiling, and um, you have the sort of, you know, exposed ductwork, exposed structure that gets painted, mm-hmm. and then you have a larger feeling lobby, something like that. That's something that's easily done, but that means you have to have the type of ceiling up there that can be exposed. Um, you want to yes. make sure of that first. But um, something like light fixtures over your reception desk or sconces on the walls are something that can change change the front end look of it anyway. And countertops are something that can change the back end look of things. And paint can change throughout. And those are easy things to do. For hospital owners or associates or managers who maybe are not handy. So some people do like doing this stuff. So they love doing this stuff at home and then they love an excuse to do it in their workplace. And so this would be great. Switching out fixtures, Maybe the uh, the painting the duct work and changing the ceiling would be a bigger project, but the paint sounds easy. This sounds like stuff you could move everything out and do a room one at a time or move if your practice is small enough, you could move everything out and you could have a big paint party and paint everything. <laughs> at the end of the day, I guess maybe we could tackle those one at a time. If somebody sort of DIYs the paint, so they kind of pick their own color on their own and they go out and get it and, and paint the whole place, is it? Do people usually need a scheme? Do people need an expert to help them with color selection or how it's actually going to look inside the lighting in there, how it's going to be different than what they might see in a showroom somewhere? Yeah. Great question. There are two ways I would approach this. Okay. Um, And and one is if you don't have the time or simply aren't good at 
selecting colors or whatnot. There's one way. And the other is if, like you mentioned, someone who is really good at this has done it at their home and they like the, how it turned out. Yeah. The first way is you can still use experts without paying anyone. <laughs> by, <laughs> I like to hear that. <laughs> by going to the paint store, um, Sherman Williams, Benjamin Moore, or others, they have color palettes, lots and lots that you can look through and, and check out. And they'll have, you know, five to six colors per palette. And you don't have to like all the colors. You can, you know, scratch out one, um, replace with another, something simple like that. And this is a color palette. It doesn't mean you have to use those paints, right? So a lot of those palettes come with neutrals and grays. Those can inform your cabinet colors, your furniture. You can use those co- that color palette to inform other parts of your hospital finishes. There's also something else that comes with those color palettes. They'll usually have a picture of the color, the paint colors being used within a residential building or something. You know, it's a a living room or a kitchen or something. That picture can inform you as well. So if they have the paint colors on the walls of that picture, look at the floor in that picture. If that floor is a blue-gray, then that could become the blue-gray tile or the blue-gray luxury vinyl tile in your hospital. Um, if there's furniture in those pictures, that, that color can inform the, the furniture and or cabinetry in your hospital. Now, you're not going to use fabric furniture, obviously, but we're just talking about colors. And it's a great place to start. And that's that's a good place if you really don't have the time to develop your own color palette. Go and pick one that someone else has done. Who And, and okay. the paint companies are experts at color palettes. So just go copy theirs. Is there anything someone should think about that palette selection? Because as you mentioned, you're going to go in and there's going to be some wonderful pictures that are examples of this in a living room and an exterior of a house and a bedroom and a kitchen. Is there anything different about a veterinary hospital and the kind of lighting in there or the kind of usage it's going to get that somebody should think twice before they decide they go to the paint store? I like that color. It looks good in that home picture. I'm going to buy this scheme or take it back to the hospital right now. And this is the one we're going to use, this paint. Right. <laughs> yeah, there are some differences, right? You want to okay. try to use some you know, common sense, I guess. You want to try to avoid light colors for uh, horizontal surfaces, floors, for example. They're just going to okay. be dirty. So that, that's different from the residence that gets you know different kind of traffic. Right. There's a different type of messing up the floors in hospitals. <laughs> well, I guess it's not a different type, um, but it's about more more often of messing up the floors in the hospital. So cleanability is key. So light color grout in tile floors or walls is gonna be tough to clean, right? So okay. mid-tones to darker tones. Mid-tones to darker tones on floors and things like that, and countertops too. Now that, that's just a preference for me when I suggest these. It, light colors for countertops are perfectly fine if they're, you know, um, durable material and, they're, and you're cleaning them often. Okay. Um, it really just comes down to your taste. So there are some things, I mean, obviously, if you're looking at, if you got a color palette and it comes from, you know, a paint company and there's a picture of a kitchen in there, you're not going to use the kitchen cabinets they use. You have different cabinets. It's really just to inform colors at this point. And in that vein, Lighter colors are going to pick up and hold dirt longer than darker colors. Okay, that does make sense. Now, it's always interesting. I, obviously, in hospitals, there was a real tendency, you know, antiseptic white was very popular for a very long time. And I feel like in recent memory in human hospitals, they veered toward warmer, 
more friendly colors than just white. But again, it would be white everywhere. And obviously those places get heavy, heavy cleaning all the time. So maybe it's not a problem. But do you find hospitals now veering away from white for either taste or because, as you've said, maybe it's more prone to stain? Yeah, I think it's both. Okay. But I also think, to your first point, it is to be less clinical, especially in the front end public to semi-public areas, to be less sterile. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the trend is now, is especially with sort of fear-free catching on that the hospitals aren't sort of institutions or, or, or feel institutional, you know, right. <laughs> that, and I think that's the, the goal of like accent colors in the back, more warm cabinetry colors. And, and you'd mentioned, you know, how about lighting? How's the lighting effect? I don't think yeah. that it's something you necessarily need to worry that much about. You're going to have plenty, lots of light in uh, animal hospitals from the exam lights, from the um, ambient lights. There's lots of lights, Bright colors are going to be bright colors. Muted colors are going to be muted colors. It's not. I don't think it will change that much. Hopefully, you have a lot of natural light in your hospital, which really makes colors pop. So I don't think you really have to bog yourself down. And is this color that I'm looking at in this paint store going to actually look like this in the hospital? We don't get bogged down in that. We tend to think it's going to be a match. Okay. Does that also go for, you know, I, I do want to... The, the the counters and the paint are the obviously the counters are a maybe they're well I don't know walls less likely to get dirty than counters is there a chance that if somebody has a a less expensive leasehold that was sort of decked out earlier on in its life and just in just as you've said oh we wouldn't put kitchen cabinetry but actually you can do a lot of especially less expensive leasehold situations, and there is non-veterinary, non-heavy-duty cabinetry in there. And I guess it's replaceable, but sometimes it doesn't get replaced. Is there kind of an upgrade with counters and cabinetry that you recommend if somebody's kind of starting from, well, we didn't buy veterinary-specific stuff in the get-go? Maybe they don't need it. I don't know. That's a good time to call um, an architect who specializes <laughs> in hospitals. <laughs> we we carry specs, specifications that line items every part of a cabinet yeah and it's something you could give a cabinet manufacturer or supplier and say i want these kinds of cabinets they're going to be custom and they're not going to be something you can buy off the shelf now uh saying that i have had a client after i've designed a hospital floor plan they love the floor plan but they asked not to design the cabinetry because they literally were going to go down to the local hardware store and, and get cabinetry okay now, that's fine. But what you sacrifice is your durability. You know, I've, I've walked him through this, but he was okay with replacing the cabinets in five years, possibly. That's what he took on. And that's what he wanted to do rather than paying the custom, you know, upfront cost of durable cabinets. So yeah, at that point, there's a just, and it all, it's all due to our experience and having done this so long we know what's out there and can be specified that is durable and will have your cabinets last longer. So that's one of those where you don't have to hire an architect. You can just give us a call. <laughs> a little, a little bit of time on the phone might right yield some big dividends in that way. Are there issues with that client? Cause I can see it from two perspectives. One is a client wants to, in the short term, wants to cut down on this capital outlay on the spend on these cabinets. And so I'm like, look, I'm going to buy cheaper stuff. They look great, but they're not going to last, but that's okay. 
you know, I don't expect them to last. I'm, I'm paying for less expensive. Do any of them have a vision for switching style regularly? Was the, do you know, do you think if that's what the client was in five years, the colors are going to be different. Everyone's going to want these spaces to look different, but we'll just sweep this stuff out and put in new stuff. That's a trend that's happening now as we speak, actually. Okay. If you would have asked me this five years ago, I would have said they would have changed out their cabinets to get more storage or less storage. But now it tends to be, well, the projects I've had yeah. tend to be leaning toward trying to make spaces more flexible. And the one thing that's permanent in a lot of the rooms are the cabinets, right? So it's either going to mobile um, storage units or lessening the actual built-in cabinets down so that the room can be used as different types of rooms, um, provide different types of services. So now I, I see more hospitals trending toward less cabinets, whereas I don't know what it's going to look like years from now because storage is a premium in hospitals. There's never enough storage, it seems like, but flexible spaces right now is key. But it could just, I mean, maybe it's some, do you have a feel when you ask the people, do you ever ask them the why? Like, oh, you're looking for a more flexible space. Why is that? What's their usual reasons for that? You know, I don't know. Uh, I haven't asked that question specifically. I guess just the assumption is after being in this career for as long as they've had, they've seen trends change. You know, what 10 years ago they thought maybe uh, in certain areas of the country or certain regions, um, grooming was going to be a big deal. So they made lots of space for grooming. And then, you know, turns out that wasn't, you know, it's going to be the the sort of economic boom they they had hoped. And I mean, not, I'm just using an example, but they tried some things and then they had, because when you set a room up for something and it can only be that, then you're kind of stuck having to change it to be something that, that is more demand later down the road. So I think now after, you know, so many people have been doing it for so long, they realize trends change, you know, and it could be five years or 10 years and they may five years from now need that room to be something completely different than what they thought they had needed. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. So with the paint counters, I can definitely see it. And another thing that probably dates, you know, you also mentioned lighting fixtures and I can see the trends come and go. Do you aim when you build these things? I mean, lighting fixtures can really grab the eye, can really make a space 
but I don't know. Are people lean mostly? Do they lean more? They want the lighting to make a statement or they're like, uh, what's the least offensive way we can get the light we need? Do they go one way or the other trying to make the lighting wow or trying to make the lighting functional or is it just threading the needle between? It's all personality, I think. I, I, okay. I think it's who, you know, those that think, you know, the lobby is, you know, what the lobby looks like and the feel of the lobby contributes to their getting and retaining customers and clients yeah. uh, will want their lobby to be, you know, as upscale as possible, you know, that they have certain tastes. Others are, you know, they have a feeling that their clients and customers want, you know, it's process driven. It's get in, get out and let's and get the best quality care. And that that's what drives. It's like lots of businesses, you know, it's, it's marketing versus production. How much, you know, your, your front lobby is your opportunity to market. Yeah. What are you saying about yourself? And, that goes down to the individual owner, what, you know, what, what they want to say about themselves in the lobby, I suppose. Does it feel less personality driven, the kind of task lighting that shows up once you're out of the exam area and you're out of the lobby and you're back into the quote unquote back, does the task lighting feel very much, and again, this is probably based on personality, does it feel like it's more important or less important than that front of house look for the customer? Outside of going from fluorescence to LEDs, not much has changed in the back. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we, we provide lots of um, overhead lights, sort of ambient ceiling lights. There's lots of that. So it's bright. But then there's, you know, exam lights or, or surgical lights, wherever, you know, specialized treatment is happening over treatment tables. We did for a while do sort of valance under cabinet lights for countertops, but we've gone away from doing that as well. So because the light, the rooms are so well lit anyway, but that's the only, that's really the only change from fluorescence to LEDs and, and not, not doing too many valence lights anymore under cabinets. Do people have the same push for in the way they want the storage and the countertops, maybe to have this stuff be mobile, less stuff anchored to the wall, less stuff anchored to the you know middle pylon or whatever, have it moved. Do they want the task lighting to be movable or that's not really a one way or the other preference? That's actually something we're currently working on and how to do that as they move treatment areas from you know one place to another place in the room, where, how does the lighting move with them? In some cases, there just isn't dedicated treatment lights. You know, the right. ones you see coming off the wall or the ones that you can move around like over a, you know, we've seen in a dentist table that treatment lights. There just aren't those. And the room is bright enough to be able to do the types of work anywhere in the room. So that's something we're working on currently now because mobile lights, those lights are heavy. They're big. So having them be mobile is, is a, a difficult task as well. So you're kind of limited in your treatment areas being mobile, but that's a good question. It's something we're working on now because everything wants to be movable and and flexible. Is the issue, I mean, is the task lighting, are those big task lights, the ones that are normally anchored to the wall or, you know, a, a center treatment area, are they heavy? So they require a wide base. And so they're kind of in the way or what's the major drawback or the difficulty or, or the reason you you're kind of having to experiment and figure out what it work. Yeah, you, yeah, you definitely have to have a much more efficient light because it has to be smaller. Definitely, the, those okay. lights—they're not just heavy themselves; they create four hundred pounds of torque when you move them. Oh God, right? Yeah, <laughs> so it's—it's not—it's the hanging on them and pulling them and, and turning them that makes it so difficult. So yeah, if they were movable, they'd have quite a large base. If they were—if that even existed, I don't—I don't know that that exists. What you're looking for if they're movable lights is something that's smaller. It's difficult. 
they tend to be not enough light sometimes. Yeah. So you're really just trying to create a room and an environment that's bright enough that you can do the kinds of work. So you can't, certain rooms, you're just going to need lights in uh, dermatology. Yeah. So I mean, you're going to need exam light in, in dermatology. Maybe that room isn't flexible as we're talking about. Surgery, you're not moving those giant lights. So surgery tends to be not flexible, as flexible space. But everything else, if we can get the lights bright enough, the kinds of procedures that are done in treatment areas, maybe mm-hmm. those can move around without the exam lights. You know, you did mention, hey, a lot of these rooms often are bright enough to do almost anything except for very specific procedures, maybe almost anything. This is bright enough. So we're not going to need anything under the cabinet. We're not going to need extra. You either got it streaming in through the windows or you got it coming in for the stuff that's already there. Are there cases where it's dark enough? Are people also veering, giving up on trying to get the right light overhead or the right light next to them and just deciding to use worn lights? I mean, again, on their glasses, on their foreheads as opposed to trying to cart a machine around. Well, that is a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. It's also just a localized space. And maybe it's great for one person pointing at a little tiny spot, but I don't know if it works for a wide thing. That's a great idea. It really is. But we've been able to, in in the past, or up to now, is provide a a well-lit enough area that you can get away with. And I'll give you an example of not even a flexible space. I was on a team designing a hospital that was uh, the treatment area was a two-story space Mm -hmm. um, and it was all glass and it was supposed to it was designed as a um display like um sort of sort of an open kitchen in a restaurant you can yeah it it had a glass wall the treatment area had a glass wall on the lobby space so that clients and could see into the treatment area well nothing could come from overhead because it was a two-story space so there are no overhead lights like exam lights because they would block the view into the yes. space. So there's nothing, nothing above counter height. So those, we did drop lights down, really beautiful sort of designery lights and just made sure there was enough of them that it was bright enough to do the work necessary in that treatment area. So that wasn't even about flexibility. It was just about display and marketing, but we were able to design a space that didn't have any exam lights. Because they were literally, is that the hospital that had almost exam rooms ringing the treatment area? In addition to the fact that you could see into it from the lobby, it's got exam rooms, like the hallways sort of run near the treatment area. That's right. Yeah, exactly. They're on both sides. As long as the treatment area is, there's exams on either side. Yep. So that does raise, you had a really high ceiling. You couldn't get, so you brought stuff down. A lot of times when we're talking about ceilings and lighting, you did mention, hey, you might have this standard drop downs. I mean, maybe in the average leasehold, the average leasehold has that generic sort of noise canceling office squares. I don't know what they, I don't know what it's called, but it's the most generic stuff that you'd see it in offices, everything. But then you knock all that out and if you have some nice ductwork in where in there, do you think that's a trend, right? I mean, the open ductwork is a trend right now. And maybe, is it peaking? Should people think I should, I like the way that looks. So I should pull out all my ceiling. And if I've got some nice ductwork in there, I should open it all up and then play with it that way. I mean, what are the, what are the pros and cons to that? What should people think about if they get excited about that? But maybe what do they need to think about for doing that? Well, it's an okay look in the lobby. Okay. If, that's, if that's what you're going for in lobby. Okay, spaces. lobby. Okay, good. Yeah. But in the back, the medical spaces, it is... It gets dirty and the fur and all that, all of that open, anything, any surface is, has to be cleanable. 
And even if you paint the ceilings dark, it just collects enough dust and fur that it, it's not a good look in the medical spaces. Okay. If you were dealing with, you know, existing light patterns and acoustical ceiling, which is that, you know, suspended ceiling, the okay. tiles, we would first go in and probably add more lights to that area. Because if it was an office space, it probably doesn't have enough lights. So we would add more overhead lights to that. And then maybe some, we, we've done, you know, surface mounted track lighting or linear strips or just adding more light to the area with your given acoustical ceiling is probably the best way to go. In the case of the hospital we were talking about earlier, it did have an exposed ceiling, but it was so high up, you know, two stories high that the dust or whatever that got up there, you'd never see. That's not the case in most hospitals. uh, Most existing buildings, they're going to, you know, have a, the ceiling might be 11 feet high. It's very easy to see. So do you wind up getting, are there actually a lot of projects where somebody is significantly, if it's a remodel or a an add-on, are people usually changing the ceiling or no? Typically you leave the ceiling alone, even if it's older, and we move on and touch up all the other things. More lighting in, in treatment areas, okay. I would say. But also those tiles are, um, they get damaged often. They're almost always tiles that are, you know, corners are cut out or broken off or they're kind of made to do that and they're replaceable, easily replaceable. So we'll come in and you can replace a whole room of ceiling tiles at an economical cost. That's not cost prohibitive. Okay. So in conjunction with that, we'll add some more lights up top. We'll, you know, replace the ceiling tiles, things like that. That's something that could be done pretty easily. So we're thinking, we thought about paint, counters, fixtures, ceilings. Are there other things inside or outside that maybe people could think about freshening up or changing without pulling the trigger on really having an entire new building project to think about. Right. Other things. Well, we touched on the the best and most easy. When you go outside, (laughs) landscaping is a good way and trying to replace areas that are already designated as landscape areas. Mm -hmm. The problem coming with the the exterior of the building is many times that opens up the um, have to go to the city for permission uh, door. Yeah. <laughs> so if um, you want to plant trees or take trees down, especially, you must make sure that it's okay with the municipality that you're in. If you're changing the color of your building, that could be something the city or municipality is very interested in. If you have a architectural review board, they're going to want to know if you're changing the color, anything like that. So exterior of the building, it starts to get a little bit where you may want to call your city or county and let them know what you're thinking about and yeah. and then see that they they also often have their requirements on on the website but it can be kind of legally sometimes it, and it's much easier just to call someone down there and say hey I'm thinking of changing our you know building from beige to blue yeah. and see what they say you know it may not be a problem at all but when we get to the exterior that starts to be you start to, you want to make sure it's okay to do that it's the same thing on the interior. If you're change, if you're doing electrical work or or uh, plumbing work, you also need yeah. to check with the city that that can be done and what permits are needed to do that kind of work. So things we're talking about are paint colors, changing you know ceiling tiles out, and and maybe cabinetry, redoing countertops. Those don't typically traditionally need a full permit to do. You, you still have to check. I would say if you had any questions at all, any doubts call, you know, someone specializes, you can call your local architect or you can call a, a veterinary 
architect and, and just run it by them and see what they think. We do it all the time, so we don't have any problems looking up your municipality to see if you're able to paint your walls. Right. You know? <laughs> but yeah, exterior is, is difficult. I would uh, tread, uh, walk slowly, walk that one slowly. Yeah. So I assume, you know, you want to get your T's crossed and your I's dotted at your firm. But a lot of people, you know, there's that dumb cliche, you know, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So, you know, <laughs> if they want to do something with their landscaping, they figure look, I haven't talked to the city in 25 years. Nobody there cares. So I'm just going to go pull this tree out, put these trees in, change up the outside. Maybe not even a paint color, but just I'm going to make some sweeping changes to my landscaping because it's all ugly and I want to do it. I mean, your advice is you'd better ask first. I mean, I hate to do all that, spend all that money and have them come in and quibble. Right. I think replacing already designated landscaping, you'd probably be okay. If you had a flower bed, yeah, and you wanted to change that flower bed to you know take the flowers out and put grasses in, you know something that was uh, that had less water needs. Yeah, I think that would be something that's okay. Where you get in trouble is when you change it, you overhaul it, say um, rearrange um, sidewalk, or like I mentioned, especially taking out a tree or things like that. And any construction, if you're even putting up a fence or something like you know chain link fence, is going, yeah. the city's going to want to know. It's just a very, very sensitive topic around the country, just about anywhere you go. What the exterior of the building is doing, looking like, functioning, very sensitive to local municipalities. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.